0: Our Bible reading this morning is just two short verses from 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, and I'll just read verses 19 and 20. And before I read that and and get into the rest of the sermon, uh, let me just say that this sermon is a little unusual in its approach. When you go to seminary, you learn two kinds of theology. You learn, you take classes on biblical theology, And systematic theology and the difference between them is biblical theology um, takes an individual biblical text or maybe a whole book of the Bible and studies it and says what is God saying through this text or through this section of Scripture systematic theology as the name implies probably starts with a question and then looks at the whole of Scripture and tries to answer that question almost all sermons that I preach and that everyone here preaches are are more biblical theology, right? We take one text and we really exegete it. This is a more of a systematic theology sermon. I'm going to mention our text briefly in my sermon, but I'm going to mention a whole lot of other texts as I try to answer a question, which is this question from the youth. So let's start with 1 Corinthians 6. Let's read verse 19 and 20. Paul is just finishing up a discussion about To what extent the corinthians are free to use their body however they want and he's talking about sexuality in this case and he's making a point about the limits of freedom and this is what he says do you not know that your bodies are temple of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have received from god you are not your own you are bought at a price Therefore honor God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. And then to build on that, let's read together the first question and answer of the catechism which is printed in your bulletins and which I think you can hear. This is one of the texts that the first question and answer of the catechism is built on. I'll say the question and please let's everyone respond with the answer. Congregation, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own but belong body and soul life and in death to my faithful savior jesus christ he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil he also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. For those of you who who have forgotten or for those of you who haven't been here the last few weeks, we're in the middle of a sermon series, which is entitled, I Was Just Wondering. And all the sermons in this series are based on questions that we received from the youth, questions that the young people of our church were asking. And today's youthful question is a really good one. It is, how do I know my faith is my own and not just something I inherited? I didn't print that whole title in the the bulletin because it's too long, but that was the question as I received it. How do I know that my faith is my own and not just something I inherited? Really good question. I think it's a question that all young people ask and maybe especially they ask it when they grow up in a place like Grand Rapids where all the institutions around you and most of the people seem like they're Christian. And before I address try to answer the question or deal with the question, let me just say that asking this question, I think, is a really good sign. It is not a bad thing that you're asking this question. I think if, if you're at a stage in your life when you're starting to ask this question, that is a tremendously good thing. Actually, um, this is true of the whole Christian life. In some ways, our sanctification and progressing in the Christian life is dealing with a series of questions. Right? We get further along in life and... new questions come our way and we wrestle with them and these questions are not um, these often are sent by the holy spirit to to help grow our faith and i would say this is one of those questions for your stage of life Uh, the life of faith is not the absence of questions we have faith because we have questions if that makes sense so you're at this stage in your life where you're asking this question, and you're asking it because you know when you were really young, you took your Christianity for granted because your parents believed it and everybody around you believed it. But then at some point, you started meeting other people who were not believers, and you realized, oh wow, not everyone thinks like me. And you realize that they don't follow Jesus because they weren't raised to follow Jesus. That's what their parents taught them. And I do follow Jesus, because my parents taught me that. So then how do I know that my faith isn't just something for my parents and that it's really authentic, it's really mine, it really belongs to me? As I address that question, I wanna just go a little bit below that question and ask another question that I think this one is based on. And that's the question, how do you know that anything is truly yours? Not just your faith, but how do you know that anything in your life is something that authentically belongs to you, that it's the real you, and not just something that you're imitating or something you're getting from somewhere else? It's the question of identity. How do I know who I truly am? How do I figure out who I'm supposed to be and where I'm supposed to be? And that is a question that all cultures ask, philosophers ask, theologies ask. Every human being asks that question. How do I figure out who I am? And if you read and you study, there are two poles, two polar different answers that people have given to that question over the years, okay? And on one pole is the answer, you want to know who you are? You are who you are told to be by your culture, by your parents, and by your tradition. You do not choose your identity and who you are called to be. That is something that you receive from your tradition, from your parents, from people around you. It's not chosen, it is inherited. Tim Keller tells a story of his grandfather, who grew up in Italy. He had an Italian grandfather, grew up in a little town outside of Naples in about 1880. And for Tim Keller's grandfather, his dad was a potter. And his grandpa was a potter. And his great-grandpa was a potter. And at some point, Tim Keller's grandpa came to his dad and said, "Uh, Dad, I don't think I want to be a potter. And his dad said, well, as I see it, you got three choices, son. You can be a priest, you can join the military, or you can be a potter. And Grandpa said, well, why? Why is that? That's who we are, son. That's been our function in this village. We are the ones who do this job, and we help make this village run. It's a proud tradition. We're proud of it. You should be proud of it, too. You shouldn't go get highfalutin ideas. Accept who you are. It's a glorious life. Maybe you can guess what Tim Keller's grandpa said to that. He said, forget this, and he emigrated to the United States. Right? Which is where... You can choose who you want to be, where you can make your own life. This is a very American story. I'll bet for many of you, if you traced your immigration patterns back, that might be a similar story to whoever it was immigrated from Europe or from wherever for you. But you can hear that the answer given in that little village outside of Naples, the answer given to that question, how do I figure out who I truly am, is you receive it. Your culture, your tradition, your family tells you who you are. That's one pole of the answer. And maybe you can see the other pole of the answer in the story of Tim Keller's grandpa, too. Because when he immigrated from Naples to the United States, he was moving from one pole of this answer towards the other. The other way of answering this question is, who are you? How do you figure out who you are? You are who you choose yourself to be. You are a product of your choices. You are a self-made person. Follow your dreams, stick to your dreams, and you can be anyone you want to be. This is a very American answer. Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow your rainbow until you reach... Your dream, sound of music, that's how we roll. Invictus, the poem, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Today in our society, the pendulum has swung completely over to the other side. We are a product of our choices, we make ourselves. And if you grow up in this culture, young people, you are trained in this answer. And just one piece of evidence for that. Let's talk about Frozen. Okay, Frozen. I know I'm treading on thin ice here because I've already taken on Taylor Swift. <laughs> and now, so there'll be no females in this, in this congregation who will like me at all. Um, Frozen, arguably the most popular Disney movie of the last 10 years, right? I think there's probably a few uh, young people who dressed up as Elsa when they went up for Halloween in their younger days, right? That happened. And one of the most, uh, the best things about the movie is the songs, right? There's all kinds of great songs, and, and I'll bet there's some people here who know all the songs. What is the central song of the movie? The, the, the pillar, it's let it go, right? Let it go. Elsa sings it. What's going on in Elsa's life when she sings it? Well, Elsa's a person who, who lives in a world where everybody, it's constrained. Everyone's telling her what to do. Everyone's telling her who she should be. Everyone's putting her in a box. And what does she do? She busts out. She goes off on her own, by herself, an individual, and she goes to her place, and she sings her song. And this is what she sings. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go. I'm not going to actually sing it. (laughs) And then later, she says in the song, I'm never going back. The past is the past, right? So you can hear the answer, right? What's the answer? You can hear it. How do you figure out who you are? Push aside all those constraints. Push aside whatever one says and forge your own path. Now, to be fair to Frozen and to be fair to Elsa, in the context of the movie, if you really look at it carefully, I'm not sure that the song is, is uniformly a good thing. I think there's, it's possible that in the context of the movie, Elsa ends up in a different place. But as the culture uses that song and likes that song, they take it as an anthem for that kind of freedom, for this kind of answer. So if you're growing up an American kid today, in our culture, we are trained to say, the self is truly yours, is whatever you make it to be, what you choose. And just as one more piece of evidence that that's happening to you young people, that you young people are being trained this way, it's in the the way the question was presented to me. When I was presented this question by the young people, the question was, how do I know my faith is my own and not just? something I inherited. Can you hear the prejudice in the question? How do I know my faith is my own, something I chose, then I know it's authentic. But if it's just something I inherited, it's not authentic. Now, never mind what our culture says and never mind what Elsa says or anyone else, what does the Bible say? Where does the Bible come down on this, this pole between yourself as something given to you and yourself is something you choose. Well, somewhere in the middle. But if we're honest, if we read scripture completely, the, the, the pendulum is more towards the size of yourself is something that you receive. It is a gift. It is something given to you. On one hand, the Bible does have absolutely strong things to say about the importance of the individual, Right? The individual matter to God, and that that starts right from Genesis one. You are made in the image of God. You, okay. So that's a strong message of your individuality matters to God. You as a person, you're important to God. So God cares enough to put His image in us. And 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 that, and to be fair to um, that that doctrine that we are made in the image of God, you can make an argument that that is the basis of human rights and individual rights for Western society, right? So the individual matters in scripture. The individual matters to Jesus. When Jesus comes to this world, he doesn't treat people as a mass, he sees people as individuals. He sees Brian Bartimaeus crying out in the streets of Jericho. And even though everyone else says, just keep going, Jesus, he goes over and talks to him and heals him. He sees the children are looking for blessing. And even though the disciples say, shoo, he looks at them as individuals and blesses them as individuals. A woman touches his garment as he's moving through a crowd on his way to a really important engagement. What does he do? He stops and talks to her and blesses her. So individuals really matter to Jesus. And furthermore, in scripture, individual choices. The choices you make as individual people also really matter. Um, you can see that because of the laws in the Bible. Our choices affect ourselves, they affect the people around us, they affect the world, and, and, and every single law and every single commandment in Scripture where the, the Bible says do this and don't do this tells us that our choices matter to God. So the Bible is very strong on in our individuality. I don't want you to miss that part of it. But at its root... The message of scripture is your true self is something gifted to you by God, something constrained by God, something that you receive. You were made in the image of God, yes, but you are made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God, but you are not your own boss. You have a Lord who holds you accountable. Think of our Bible passage you belong to God. And then built on top of that, our, our first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, which we say with affection, I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm constrained. My life is given to me. Think of Psalm 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? There's an emphasis on your individuality, but Before a word is on your tongue, God knows it completely. He hems you in behind and before. And if you were to sink down to the depths of the earth, even there, his right hand would hold you fast. Think of the call stories in scripture. God is calling individuals. Moses, you're gonna lead my people out of Egypt. Isaiah, you're gonna be a prophet. Mary, you're you're gonna give birth to Jesus. Paul, you're gonna be my messenger to the Gentiles. When these people were called, did they have a choice? This call was something they received. Now, their choices after that mattered a lot. Of course they did. But the basic call, the root of the thing was not something they made, it was something that they were given. And finally, think of baptism, which we did at the first service. What's the body language of baptism? Is it about the choice of the baby or is it something they receive? It's all the gift of God's grace, right? Now, the choices of these children, our choices matter, not least of all the choice someday to make profession of faith. But the message of baptism is that there is this covenant of love, this covenant of grace, which surrounds you and goes with you your whole life long as you make these choices. All of this together, I think, pretty clearly paints a picture. And I hope I'm saying this gently that yeah, a lot of what your faith is, is something inherited, and that's not so bad. That's a good thing. Here's an analogy. Imagine that you're lucky enough to grow up in a happy family, right? Which I think some of you could say joyfully. Both your parents love you pretty well, and you know, you you get along reasonably well with your brothers and sisters, you only fight 75% of the time, which which is a good ratio. And, you know, when you, when you have something bad in your life, you're supported. When you have something good in your life, they come around and celebrate. You have, a good, you have a good family life. Would you ever stop and ask the question, how do I know that this is my real family and not just something I inherited? He'd never ask that question. He would just say, thank you, Lord, that I was born into this. All you young people and all you people here today, you've been born into a blessed family of grace. You've been baptized into the community of a God who loves you and cares about you as an individual. You've been baptized in the community of Jesus Christ, who came to this world to walk with you and gave up his life for you. And into the Holy Spirit, who who creates this community and makes it A family of support and love and grace. This is something you inherited, and it's a wonderful inheritance. Lucky you. Blessed are you. I know there's still part of the question that you asked that remains. Okay, Peter, you've made a really good case. I I see that this is an inheritance, and it's okay, it's good, it's a blessing. But how do I make that inheritance my own? How do I own it? How do I make it mine? Well, I think the answer to that part of the question is it has to do with what you do. If you're asking that question, I think it's a sign that it's time for you to do something in the church. Most of your young life, when you're growing up in faith, is pretty passive, right? Right? People talk to you a lot about God, and you just sort of sit there and receive it, okay? Your minister talks at you about God, and you listen. Your parents talk to you about God, and you listen. Your Sunday school teachers talk to you about God, and you listen. But at some point, if if this is working, you make a change. And instead of just listening, you start doing. Instead of just receiving the love of Jesus, you start letting it pass through you. And if you're asking this question, maybe it's a sign that it's time for you to start listening and start doing something. Find your place within the community. Because within this mission, within this covenant of God's grace, there are thousands of choices you can make, thousands of things you can do. Maybe you love thinking about things. Maybe you like intellectual stuff, going over Bible texts, Well, you can join a bible study and get involved with that. Maybe all that thinking and that abstraction is not for you. You want to deal with a real person. You can go work at one of the local missions and help out some of those people who are in desperate need. Or maybe children are your thing and you want to sit down with kids and help them to have a joyful experience at church and a happy upbringing. You can spend time with kids. Or if you don't like kids, There's some older adults who'd love some company. You could spend time with some older shut-ins and listen to them and learn from them. You can do medical work overseas. You can get involved in a thousand things. Within the green fields of God's grace, there are a thousand places to play. And they're just waiting for you to find them. And the only way to know which of these endless possibilities belongs to you is to get out there and start doing things. And then when you find a place where you bless others and it makes your heart sing, then you'll know that you've found where you belong. And then this faith of yours will not just be something that you inherited, but it will be joyfully your own. Amen. Lord, the boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places, and we have a delightful inheritance. We are standing on a foundation of grace, and we're surrounded by it, and we know it. Lord, thank you for the gift of freedom as well. And I pray for each person here, and especially for our young people, that you may show them and continue to lead them into the place where they are supposed to be and supposed to work in this world for you. In Christ's name I pray it. Amen.